Welcome back to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I am your host, Adam Comero, as usual, and I am extremely late with this podcast because, number one, I hope everyone had a great feast week, Thanksgiving, whatever you consider worth celebrating around that time. And uh, yeah, so that was a little bit busy, but also I really wanted to dig deep and look into this Duke team and see what it's all about because I don't even know right now. This might be literally the most interesting Duke team I've seen in years, if not ever, just because of the, the, the unknown factor of it all. I mean, this is, it's kind of wild when you think of it. Obviously, everyone knows by now, Duke played in the Maui Invitational for, unfortunately, the first time, I believe, ever they lost. I think they were, uh, they'd been there, what, like three times? They were like 19-0, something like that. And, uh, yeah, they went down in the Maui Final to Gonzaga after losing, after beating uh, San Diego State in the quarters and Auburn in the semifinal. Auburn is one of the best teams in the country. Great win right there. I mean, that was a great first test. It's so much more fun to watch real basketball instead of mismatches. I mean, you can only get so much from Kentucky just not ready for the first game. And, I mean, Army, they played their hearts out. Uh, There's a big talent differential there, Eastern Michigan. I think the next game after Duke played Eastern Michigan, they scored like five points in the first half. So, um, yeah, I mean, that is what it is. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, this was this is real basketball. These guys, you can't really explain what it's like to be in a tight game versus a team that has might not have as much talent as you, but they're not far off, and most teams have more experience. So, I mean, just a couple things. I mean... Duke, this is the age of pace and space. And this is a Duke team that is absurdly talented. But if you think, if you think about it, they, have, they don't force, or they haven't forced turnovers. And they have one player who gets legit minutes who you consider a true weapon from deep for the space to shoot, to shoot threes. And he didn't play against Gonzaga from 8.17 left to 30 seconds left. Because Coach K decided to go with kind of the, the blue-collar guys, uh, the guys who would just do the dirty work, because that's what was working against Gonzaga. And that was really impressive to me. I love Cam Reddish. He, he will get plenty of playing time this season, but it, this is what it's going to be this year. It's going to be finding ways to get the advantage in every single game and it's rarely going to be the same way. Unless or until or who knows if Duke finds a specific identity. Because, I mean, we're so used to Duke having that identity. Last year, it was 100% the big guys inside. You go through the big guys. And every, every year, it's something like that. And this year, you just don't know. I mean, I'd hoped before the season, I mean, the key, I said, was going to be getting out and running. Get that pace, because pace is energy, and a key will be finding a way to be creative with this offense. This is one of, if not, 
I, I will say just the most adaptable teams you can find. I mean, they're so versatile in their skill sets. Yeah, there's weaknesses. There's obvious weaknesses. But I, I think it's just going to be really fun. But the defense, that's just going to have to take its lumps. Because as we've seen since the one done era began, I've made my opinion very clear on the fact that Duke's ceiling is entirely based on their defense. And how good that becomes, especially in that screen and roll. Especially guarding the outside shot. I mean, it's going to be fun to track that offense. That's what's going to get the headlines. I mean, the highlight plays. Duke's going to uh, be all over the place on all the shows with the dunks, especially Zion. Obviously Zion. And But if, ever, if anyone remembers, I mean, last year with Boston College and Florida State, their first two ACC opponents... They're fun games to watch, but obviously it wasn't a predictor of what was going to happen, and it's surely not what's going to be necessary in March. In March, you go as the defense goes. This offense is going to be successful no matter what. If all they do is run boring ISO, they're still going to be successful because they have crazy talent. So I'll get more into it in terms of the creativeness I hope to see. But this defense, is, as far as they go in March, will be because of this defense. 100%. It's going to be a struggle at times. So I don't think that's a surprise at all. I think, uh, I mean, I've really been trying to stay away from the narratives. I know they exist. But I think that if you look at this Duke team as is, you knew there was going to be a game. Like usually this type of game happens against like NC State. And it was like NC State in like January. That's typically when it happens. When Duke just gives up a million points and everyone's like, what happened? They can't play defense. So at least that's over with. Hey, look at it optimistically. Look at it like that. Glass is half full. It's over with. But realistically, it's... Uh, Hey, Duke, Duke gave up, I think, the Kempom, in the Kempom era, 2002 to now. That was the fifth worst defensive efficiency in a non-conference game before the new year. Fifth worst. That's, uh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, let, let, me, let me see. Um, I'd actually be shocked. Does anyone actually know which one is the worst? Because uh, it's actually surprising. It is Vermont in 2013. Vermont, 139.3. That was that was their defensive efficiency. They actually won that game, 91-90. It was in 2013. The others were uh, Ohio State in 2011. Uh, let's see. Uh, Saint, uh, Georgetown in 2015. And Kansas in the Champions Classic in 2013. If you want to look at it all, all together in terms of all non-conference games, then you would add in uh, games that, that were worse. Arizona in the 2011 NCAA tournament. That was that was just the second half was just insane. Um, then you got uh, St. John's uh, in uh, 2011. You got and then you got uh, Louisville in 2013. That was in the NCAA tournament. So obviously this wasn't uh, the finest moment for the Duke defense. And then when you consider that 
Gonzaga shut down in the in the final in stretch of the game. They were absolutely annihilating Duke. And some of that had to do with Gonzaga. Some of that had to do with Duke. But man, that was, that was picture-perfect basketball. If you can step away from the bias and just appreciate how well they were running their offense, it was a thing of beauty at times. I mean, just the way they were using the high screens. There was a play that Trey Jones got picked three different times. It was just insane. I mean, they were just working Duke specifically to Duke's weaknesses. It wasn't just, oh, Gonzaga, like, this is just they're playing out of their minds. No, I mean, they were they were shooting really well from outside. But you have to understand, that's something that you look at the stats and you look at what Duke's trying to do on defense, that could be a weakness ongoing. Because if you combine the, uh, what was it, the Auburn, Auburn made six of their last ten threes. Then Gonzaga made ten of their first 15 threes. So you got 16 of 25. That's crazy. That's like, when, when you reach a certain level, that's not just like outliers. That's not a team shooting unbelievable. That's, that's just what it is. And the reason for that is because Duke is going to try to trap. They're going to try to harass. They're going to extend their defense. They, they really want to do everything possible to get those turnovers and get out in space, get out in transition. And they haven't been able to do that. That's the crazy thing that they're still able to get pace without the turnovers. The turnovers are going to be the key for this year. So if you think this is uh, as bad as Duke can play and it's as good as Gonzaga can play, keep in mind that uh, Killian Tilly, Gonzaga's best three-point shooter, was not playing. He was injured. And two of their key players, um, what was it, uh, uh Crandall was in for Kispert. Kispert, he was in foul trouble, and Crandall was in. And then Clark was in foul trouble, and they had to have uh, Jones in. And those guys, they are... Duke could take advantage of them. And, I mean, it was just pretty much... Gonzaga, all they did was high-screen Duke and work off that the entire game. And then their legs just went. And in the last, what was it? Uh, the last 9.58, they missed everything. They finished up, I think, 3 for 15. They missed like 6 of their last 7 free throws. It was brutal. I mean, yeah, you could say RJ, everyone's going to be talking about R.J. Barrett. And what happened in the last couple possessions in the ISO. But look at the full game. It's more than just that last possession. But I will get into Barrett because, I mean, it's a very interesting dichotomy right there in terms of the trust Kay has for a certain player each year and how he'll roll with that dude and how he's historically rolled with a dude in the last certain possessions to just ISO and it has it's rarely worked out I mean that's just the way it is but we'll, we'll see what happens there the thing that I found most impressive 
is how frustrated I was watching games before Gonzaga with just how ISO-oriented and spot-up-oriented the offense was. There was nothing really going on. There was no screens. There was no action. There was really no sets. It was just there are certain principles to their motion offense, and it was just it is what it is. And it was re and it was just incredibly predictable. And with guys as talented, yeah, they're going to succeed. But as I, as I said with uh, podcast before the season, and even the last one, it saps the energy and it does affect the defense. It's a it affects everything. So, what I was most impressed about about something like seventeen, somewhere around seventeen to twenty possessions in you saw the offense really develop. All of a sudden, it wasn't just R.J. Bear initiating everything. It wasn't just passing it to Cam Reddish and he would just either drive or just launch right, right there with nothing else going on. It was screen action. It was throwing to Zion in the post. It was working through that. It doesn't have to be pick and roll every time. It's just working action off of that. It can be high screens. I I understand that with Duke's big guys, they're not going to demand attention on the on the entry for a pick and roll. They're not going and the outside shooters, teams are not going to be terrified of them. So, yes, pick and roll is going to be difficult at times. Most of the time, Guys are going to stay with the ball handler. But it's still action. It still makes the defense think. I still want to see flashing to the free throw line, just something to keep the defense on their toes so it's not just ISO-centric the way that 2016 was. I've done a lot of comparing of this team to 2016. That's not a great thing. I mean, again, like it's all in comparison. I mean, that team was incredibly talented, really, really good. But they had their weaknesses, most of it having to do with defense. But also just the vanilla-ness of the offense. So it's great to see early on that the offense has wrinkles to it and that Coach K is willing to add those wrinkles in-game because typically... Over the years, it's been like one huge lineup change and one huge kind of uh, X's and O's thing during the year, and that's it. Not much changes. It's kind of you run what's been set in course preseason because there's a lot of young guys, and you don't want to put too much on them, which which kind of made like that's what shocked me so much about last year against Syracuse and especially against Kansas in the NCAA tournament when all of a sudden it was different defenses. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to see development ongoing because RJ, yeah, RJ Barrett, he is the trusted guy, but we've seen that he is very ISO heavy. I'm not sure the offense runs continuously in the way it possibly could with him running the offense, the the I don't think the ceiling is as high. I think he is a huge weapon. But if you look at him again comparatively, it's he he's not the most athletic guy. He's really crafty, really smart, but he's not going to blow anyone away off the dribble. 
and set up other guys. He's not going to rain from downtown. He's not the best passer. I mean, he's a beast in transition. I'll say that. I'm talking strictly half court. Half court set offense. So, and, and also what I've noticed is he's not quite as adept. He's going to, I feel like he can get better at all of these aspects. But in terms of when he's given high screens, which he's been given a lot of, he just kind of dribbles off and nothing really happens. And I think there's other guys who you can who you can use that might create a little more. I just, it's just different skill sets. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that develops. And that's why it was so much fun to just see the different aspects added in the second half. I mean, Zion using him off screens more, that's awesome. I mean, he can do everything. He is... The, I mean, he really is like a unicorn. I mean, that's kind of the old adage or the cliche term that is used. He can do it all. I mean, he is a bandit on a lot of aspects right now. And I think the biggest thing he provides actually is defense in terms of in the passing lanes. Because, well, guys are really, really good at guarding the ball. There's a lot lot of screens uh, that uh, are not being called out correctly and guys aren't getting out on shooters well enough. There's a lot of rotation issues and that's expected. This is a young team. You can't just give someone the ball on offense and say, oh, go get a bucket. So this is this is the way it's going to be. There's going to be growing pains and uh, yeah, I mean, especially when you play teams this good this early. Sometimes you play one, uh, one or two, but I mean, this is... This is a challenge. I mean, Kentucky wasn't... I mean, whatever people want to rank Kentucky, they might be in time. But, I mean, Duke played a team that wasn't ready. That wasn't a real matchup. So, I think that time... that was Talent was just able to overwhelm right there. But I think Auburn, the first half, Duke had... the first, Until really... Uh, Auburn, the second half, when it started... Duke was able to overwhelm teams at the beginning of each half, pretty much. And Auburn, I think that was where it ended. As the game started, Duke, they started out on fire, just like they had versus every single team. But then the second half, all of a sudden, Auburn, they realized, you know what? Yeah, everyone worships this Duke team. Yeah, they're talented. But we got ballers on our team, and it's about using our skill sets to our advantage. Taking advantage of Duke's weaknesses. And they started to use Wiley, their big guy, in the pick and roll more. Pick and pop. Take advantage of Duke inside. And Bolden had had, had himself a game versus Auburn. I mean, Bolden was amazing. Bolden and Javin Delorier are going to be interesting in the way that, based on matchups, you'll see one used more than the other at times. And I think that it might have taken Coach K a little bit too long. Versus Gonzaga to realize that Javin Delorier was possibly the better option with all of Gonzaga's shooters. There's not going to be a lot of teams that have so many big guys who can shoot. Not just shoot, shoot well. I mean, this is where the NBA is going now. Where everyone can shoot. Bolden has uh, he has trouble really 
closing out on those shooters. So, and then sometimes when he does, other guys don't rotate. Uh, Barrett had some issues doing that. I, I, I will say that I think uh, Cam Reddish and Trey, who I said had some issues defensively for the first few games, they they really improved. Cam still off ball. I mean, if you look at his stats, there's a lot of context involved when you look at individual defensive stats. But I mean, I think his uh again for spot up for catch and shoot, his defensive rating is like they rank like nineteen hundred people in synergy, and he's like eighteen hundred. So he's having some issues. But on ball, I mean, he he gets after it. So I mean, it's just guys they they're gonna improve. It takes time. There's there's they're playing roles that they just haven't played before. But Javon Deloria, he he was great against Gonzaga. I mean, can you imagine the Duke was down like 13, and Zion Williamson, he entered a pass in over the top to Javin, who drew a foul. There's like seven minutes left. Duke's down 13, and you go to Javon Deloria? That's unexpected. Going to that game, Javin was... Uh, he had played 21 minutes in the Maui Invitational, and he had committed eight fouls. I mean, that was his most impressive stat there. He is a foul machine, and he managed six first-half minutes without a foul. And uh, I think he committed three in, like, 15 second-half minutes. But for him, I mean, that's, hey, that, that's a victory right there. So it's crazy that Duke, they, they really, they're not shooting the three well. I just, you don't see teams be able to, like, they didn't shoot really threes at all in the second half. I mean, when Cam, when Cam Reddish isn't in there, there's not as much spacing, but Gonzaga had tired legs, and it's just, that's what it took at that time. Plus, Cam Reddish, from like, he played like from 12 minutes to 8 minutes in the game, from 12 minutes left to 8 minutes left, and that was quite an adventure. I think in those four minutes, he hit like two threes. He had like two turn. He had two or three turnovers and committed three fouls. And I think Coach K just wanted guys that, with Gonzaga having tired legs, you just want guys you know what you're going to get, and they're just going to bruise inside and wear down the Gonzaga players more. And Jack White and Javin Delorier, that's exactly what they're going to do. And Jack White, my God, I mean, not many have been higher on Jack White than me. And I was, I there's. I wasn't even close to... he. He's doing so much more than anything I could have expected. I mean, I was ready to mourn his loss and expect him to transfer, um, I think, in November of 2017. Because I was just like, he's too good. He's, he, he deserves playing time somewhere. But he stuck the course, and... Uh, yeah, man, he's, get, he's getting playing time, and he is... He's trusted out there, and it's almost getting to the point... Where he's he's a guy you just don't want to be without. And that's going to make these lineups interesting. I mean, Duke, Duke only went seven deep against Gonzaga. With Jack White and uh, Javin Deloria off the bench. That's it. So, anyone hoping for a huge rotation? I think at this point, I feel like we can all come to the conclusion that Joey Baker is probably going to redshirt. If he's not, that would be a surprise, barring uh, some, hopefully, that'd be a like, crazy injury uh, by someone else. Um, but yeah, I, I think Duke is going to go 7-8 deep. I hope Alex O'Connell 
is able to break into the rotation. It's just his defense has to be trusted. I mean, they have enough defensive issues with everything else. I do feel like his outside shooting is a weapon. It's going to be matchups. And that's what I'm saying about how, I mean, Cam Reddish, it is interesting how he has not played two double-digit halves since Game 2 against Army. Double-digit minutes. So one thing or another has kept him uh, from getting double-digit minutes and a half in every game, but he's handling it well. I mean, it's about uh, just no egos. And that's impressive for guys this talented. Guys who all three might be picked. Uh, Zion, RJ, and Cam are gonna probably will be picked in the top ten. But then you get to uh, Pebbles Jones. Tyus' little brother, Trey Pebbles. The little brother of Stones. I mean, I don't know what they feed that family, what, what, what kind of breakfast they eat, but wow. I, I mean, there's just... He hit a three, a couple... Not even a three, like... He hit a, almost just... He hit about a half-court shot at halftime, and it's just he didn't even react. It's like expected. I mean, that dude is just cold-blooded, man. Cold-blooded. Whole pebbles. I mean, he just clutch shot after clutch shot. And defense, man, when Duke needed guys to lock down the most, I mean, Trey's there. I worried so much that I would refer to him as Tyus this year. Nah, man. Like, I'm not going to make that mistake because he he has... Obviously, he's earned his nickname just by having it, or earned his name just by having it, but uh, I don't think I will be making the mistake of calling him uh, Tyus, especially if I just call him Pebbles now. Um, he's been fantastic. I want to see him initiate more offense. I, I think Duke will be better if he initiates more offense. He's still playing the typical role. He's getting the ball because Duke is getting him the ball and he's gravitating towards the ball. But it's still RJ initiating most of the offense. It changed a bit in the second half in Gonzaga. Because, I mean, the one game before, I was saying I was saying going into uh, Maui, the biggest thing was going to be get, get, <laughs> get Trey more involved. So, uh, I mean, he was more involved versus Gonzaga just because he's getting himself more involved. But I think it's going to be as a scorer. Unless Duke runs more action for him. And I think they should. I think they absolutely should. So in, t- in terms of what Duke is doing on offense, I mean, transition. I mean, right now, tra- transition is 20.6% of their offense. So they still want to get out and run. But except for Eastern Michigan, they haven't been doing it off turnovers. So it's going to be taking those risks now to try to make plays off ball and leave your guy in order to get those turnovers. But now the blueprint's there. I said that pick and roll, that's what it's going to be. And it's not just, again, not just pick and roll, the basic pick and roll. It's just high screen, action off that. It may not be charted that way wherever you look at synergy or whatever. But it's action based off the pick and roll. So what are they going to do? Are they going to stop switching everything 
Because it's difficult. I mean, are they going to hedge more? That's going to be difficult because the bigs don't, they don't have quite as much experience and speed to get back like the Duke bigs of old. But I don't know. I mean, I haven't really seen much icing going on up top. But it's just the switch is be, it's getting too easy. But on the other hand, you're not going to see many teams like Gonzaga who have so many bigs who can shoot. Again, they were playing with that Killian Tilly. That's unreal. So, I think Zion, he has been fantastic in pick and roll. I think he's been fantastic just on defense altogether. I don't think he's getting nearly enough credit. Nearly enough credit. I mean, he, he makes the highlight plays, but it's more than just those blocks. And yes, those blocks... I mean, those are galvanizing moments for the team. I mean, there were some when Duke was down big, when they were down like 16, 16 to go, makes that huge block. Then Trey makes the big plays after. I mean, that's something that's not just one game. It's it's a representation of how they're not going to lay down for anyone, no matter what. I mean, these are guys that, I mean, there's not too many games in high school at AAU which, which are at this type of intensity as they participated in, in Maui. I mean, it's still not going to be anything like their first experience in a road game. It's been an ACZ road game. But it's big, man. I mean, these, they Gonzaga, they are a talented, talented team. So I think I think it was huge that they were just able... To come back, I know Gonzaga gave it away, almost. They were, they tried to. Like I saw these articles being written, Gonzaga showed you the blueprint of how to beat Duke. Yeah, I mean, you work them in ball screens constantly. You make shots and you don't let them run in transition. I mean, okay, if everyone can do that constantly, good job. But Gonzaga also tried to give it away. I mean... To say they were amazing down the stretch, I mean, they made defensive plays, but R.J. Barrett's got to be smarter. He is he is smarter, and he'll learn from that. You can't just ISO right into the defense. I mean, he got so deep, you got to read the defense. I think there should have been more action off of him. I mean, especially with the way Duke came back with so much action involved in the offense. I mean... I, th- I think it was just a mistake to use RJ like that, but we've seen it. We've seen it over and over. Back to the days of uh, Trajan Langdon, one of my favorites. Back to, uh, back, back to, I mean, I mean, even Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen got countless, countless opportunities to ISO at the end of games. And there was that one game where it's kind of a uh, a travel foul. Versus Virginia, where he made the game winner, but usually it didn't work out too well. And that's nothing against him. It's just not what he's best at. The same way he was not best as the point guard. But that's what he was forced into too often because Coach K just didn't have trust in the point guard that was there. It's not a Duke goes as their point guard thing. It's just trust. And right now, this is the first time... I'm trying to think of, I might be missing a year, but like, has Duke ever had a a backcourt that's just this inexperienced? Freshman? 
I sure can't think of any. So, I don't know. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see. So, I'm going to do a deep dive. Stats, everything. Kind of uh, after Indiana. Because, I mean, they only play, was like six really competitive, uh, like elite, I don't know if elite, but like really competitive teams. There's three in the Maui, there's Kentucky, there's Indiana, and uh, there is Texas Tech. Yale, we'll, we'll see if they're, if they also should be involved in that conversation. But right now, I mean, you got Indiana, which is actually going to be tomorrow. And they, they're, they're a really talented team. But I think right now it's, it's more about Duke than other teams. And that's not a, uh, oh, we're so good. That's not a kind of an egotistical thing. It, but it's just Duke, their talent's unreal. It's just how are they going to use it? So I think that's the fun part of this year. I think just listing out, like, some people just put out Ken Palm numbers and what they are. It really doesn't give the context. So I think this team is going to be constantly, consistently about the context. Why are things happening? It can't just be that you look at the last play of the game and say, R.J. Barrett, he's selfish. I mean, I've, I've heard the same crap about I mean, people say the same thing about Jaleel Okafor, the Okafor theory. I mean, Mar- people want Marvin Bagley bench. People hate Jason Tatum. I mean, if people want want to hate on R.J. Barrett, go ahead. I mean, whatever. I mean, he's a talented dude. He's playing his butt off. And uh, Coach K, he trusted him enough to put him in that position. And that shows you he's earned it in some way. Hopefully he can grow from what happened against Gonzaga, but I wouldn't say it's some sort of devastating loss because number one, it's November. And number two, if you're all about the Dukes going undefeated, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, there's no possible way. Like, the whole hype machine is, it it was just out of control immediately. I mean, I'm not, this isn't about me, but I mean, my personal opinion, I mean, if you heard the season preview podcast, I mean, there was no, I I wasn't even considering it. Like that never even came up. This was, I mean, when I gave my like prediction, I was like, oh, they have talent to win, to win it all. But I mean, maybe sweet 16, I, I kept giving 2016 comparisons and 2016 lost a bunch of games. So... <laughs> I, I don't think there's any possibility in my mind that Duke was far and away the best team. You, I, don't, I don't know how you can be at this point in the season when, you're, when you, you don't know how to guard the pick and roll. You don't have outside shooting. You are leaving guys wide open on defense. And you can't play to your strengths, which is get out and transition enough to really be as lethal as you want to be. Hopefully they get there. And then they have the talent to get there. They absolutely have the talent to get there. I mean, there'll be certain games. I mean, Bolden, seven blocks against Auburn. There'll be games when he can come up huge. He's got to he's gotta play stronger. 
He cannot go up soft with the ball. He cannot double team kind of half-assed. I mean, he's got to really get after it because there's going to be late rotations, and that has to be expected. But I think it was a good sign to see Kay's adjustments early on in Maui. I think that was a fantastic sign because these past couple seasons, there haven't been many adjustments like that in-game, which make me believe that it's not just going to be, hey, these guys are young, give it time. It's going to be, hey, you can kind of see things developing. If something doesn't work, try something else. I love that, man. It's, it's, it's a work in progress. I mean, with so much talent, with so much versatility, hell yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised all of a sudden to see O'Connell come in and rain down 21 game. You never know. It's going to be, what does the game call for? So, Duke's out Indiana. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be much more consistent with this, obviously, in conference season. I think this was just I mean, I, I I tracked every play from the game. If anyone wants it, you can always email me or find me on Twitter, CC underscore Duke Games. And I mean, I people don't really care. So I don't really post it. And also it's just a lot of work. But I mean I I I, I film all, like every play that I can I consider interesting. I track like all these crazy weird stats. I mean, I'm I'm crazy about this stuff. It doesn't make me better or worse. It's just I'm weird. I'm releasing this late, so there's going to be a, another podcast. I might have a special guest after uh, the morning after the Duke Indiana game, just to talk about how. Duke is covered from a national perspective, at least in terms of this Duke team, because it's it's like a it's like a circus, and it's always interesting to me because this I just perceive this this is a it's the same basketball team every year with different kids there, different young men, different young adults. So I don't know, it's just Duke to me, but it's like a phenomenon, and it's really cool to to a lot of people. And it's really cool for fans. It's really cool for them. Is that we're lucky to get to watch a team this successful. They won't always be this successful. So, hey, enjoy the, enjoy the moment for them and us. So, uh, Duke, 5-1. and one. They look great. We'll see. They, they're playing Indiana. Then what do they have? Uh, they, I, I think I'm going to do... Um, I'm going I'm to get this thing rolling. With uh, more analysis, I think it's just so tough with this uh, small sample size. But once I feel more confident in what I am watching, then it's going to be on. Uh, I mean, people have heard me before. It's not going to be, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It's going to be like, hey, maybe they could do this. I've seen this happen. Hey, project forward this, possibly this. Right now, I would say the biggest thing I am looking for is better communication on the pick and roll. That is number one. Number two, who is initiating the offense? And number three, what type of risks are they going to take in order to create transition? There are live ball and dead ball turnovers. They got to get live ball. They got to get out and running. So, are they going to be able to? We'll see. Right now, Indiana tomorrow... ACC Big Ten Challenge. Let's get it.
All right, so for the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast, I'm Adam Comero. You can always find it on iTunes at Comero's Corner. Subscribe, rate, review, do what you do, and I will be talking to you soon. Thanks for listening, guys.